Morning Twitter. I'm Isaac Fitzgerald. He is Saeed Jones. And you are watching AM to DM. Two children, here is a tweet from the New York Times. A Virginia police sergeant assigned to monitor protests related to Governor Ralph Northam's racist yearbook photo was suspended for having ties to white nationalist groups. To which Soledad O'Brien responded, Happy Day 7 of Black History Month. Seven days. What is going on? I saw someone on Twitter call this the Black History Month from hell. That's what it feels like. Uh, it, it feels like it's been going on for a long time. Too. It's oh days like this is just a week. It's, it is only 28 days long, right? Um, I mean, here's the thing. I, I was saying earlier, I, I really love Black History Month. I look forward to it um, every year because it's this, this interesting opportunity to not just learn about history, but also celebrate what's going on now, right? Because history is, is an active dynamic in our lives. And it, it just feels... Like it's kind of being, like, or like people are trying to steal it from us. Mm -hmm. Like America is trying to mm -hmm. steal black history from us. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's making me angry. Mm -hmm. It's making me sad and exhausted. And exhausted. It's incredibly tiring. When I woke up and I saw that tweet from the About New York Times, oh like my yesterday, yeah. I was like, is Virginia on fire? Mm -hmm. Today, I was like, I want to know Virginia's star sign. And it's not just Virginia, right? There are so many stories. Absolutely. You pointed out a story this morning that I had missed. There's like so much racist news mm -hmm. that I missed. I usually have a hard time keeping up with the news. Right. I'm having a hard time keeping up with just the racist news. Yeah, yeah. And again, like, you're actually right. Like, this news cycle right now is just focused on the Commonwealth of Virginia. And, like, common sense, American history, the Civil War, we know that this is just an ice. This is not mm. isolated, right? This, mm. this is big. Um, how deep is the rot, you know? So, but something else I've been thinking about is, like, because I care about Black History Month, I'm not just going to give it up without a fight. Um, I always think about Tony, uh, Tony K. Bombera, who wrote in a, a note to Nikki Finney, do not leave the arena to the fools, right? Mm. Don't just, like, step away mm. and then let them take over. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm, I'm gonna, we're gonna come back. We're gonna fight. <laughs> we're, we're gonna, gonna fight. fight for Black History Month. So I wanted to talk about some joy. Last night while I was reading all of this, I stopped and I watched Lizzo's performance on mm. Fallon. And it's so great. Yeah, and I, I tweeted it there. I tweeted it again. I think I pinned it actually this morning. She has an album coming out. Like, but she, like seeing her continue to shine. Um, and literally you know, shining. Uh, literally literally shining, shining. Celebrating her body, celebrating joy, you know, means a lot uh, mm -hmm. to me. And I know a lot of you. You. That's my joy this morning. What about you? I love that. Listen, I'm still holding on to the joy from Tuesday. You and okay. I went to a wonderful event at Books yes. Are Magic. Yes. It was Marlon James in conversation with Jacqueline Woodson. If you're not familiar with their work, become familiar Ooh, with their life. It was such a beautiful conversation. Marlon's got a new book out, and that was just exciting to, to witness. Yeah. And Marlon's going to be on the show tomorrow, which Absolutely. I'm very, very excited. Your conversation with him, I'm, so I'm excited, excited for everyone to see it. He's great, and Chantal is going to be talking about Lizzo again this morning. So let's take this joy to the time. Timeline, what is something that is bringing you joy mm. this Black History mm. Month? Let's share it. Let us know because we all need as much joy as we can find using the hashtag am to dm Okay. Meanwhile, mm. in Virginia, Felonious Monk tweeted, all top Virginia officials wore blackface except for the one with a blackface who has been accused of sexual assault. Is that accurate? <sighs> Can. Here's a tweet from Matt Berman. Uh, Al Sharpton told BuzzFeed News reporter Darren Sands that we must deal with the fact that there is a constitutional crisis in Virginia and that it's based on race on the 400th anniversary that we were brought here as slaves to Virginia. And Darren Sands joins us now. Darren, good morning. Good morning, guys. How are you? 
All right. Maintaining. All right. Now, <laughs> yeah. listen, Sharpton said this about Northam's now infamous press conference. It's tantamount to saying I didn't rob Wells Fargo Bank, but I did rob Bank of America. Well, you're still a bank robber. So what does Sharpton think Northam should do? Um, absolutely resign. Um, you know, Sharpton, uh, I was on the phone with him yesterday for about 20 minutes and, you know, he recalled when he was stabbed um, back in, I think it was the 80s. And, uh, you know, he ended up forgiving the person who stabbed him. He ended up having, you know, really serious in injury. But he's, he made this example where he said, you know, he still had to go to jail, um, even though he was forgiven. And I think the, the same dynamic is at play with with the governor um, and the attorney general. I think that there is a sense now in the civil rights community that, um if they don't put the pressure on right now, that they could have a situation where um, they, they sort of lose momentum and, and they can't get what they want done, which is essentially for, for the both of them to leave office. Mm. And to that point, you also note that uh, Al Sharpton, you know, this was a turning point for him. Uh, he has a lot of protests planned. So can you talk to us about what's his plan for the next day or so? Yeah, so today he uh, is probably on a plane right now to Richmond where he's going to go and um, speak at a, a rally, I guess, with other local um, uh, civic leaders and faith leaders in an interfaith uh, session that he'll have with people. And it'll be just speaking. It'll be on the campus of uh, Virginia Union, um, a historically black uh, college in Virginia. And I think it's really just to um, have a conversation. You know, Sharpton, when he shows up somewhere, this is one of the big criticisms of the Black Lives Matter movement was that they didn't have a lot of um, sort of that traditional way to get media attention on things. And so um, people who are, who are pro-Sharpton um, in the civil rights space say that when he shows up, the cameras show up too. And, and, and that's a, a real way to sort of dramatize the issue, as he would say. And so it'll be interesting to see um, how today plays out. But I don't think that anyone should expect anything less than um, for, for Reverend Sharpton and the um, other leaders uh, will be there today to do anything but resign. Mm. Okay, Darren, do we have any idea where Reverend Sharpen, Sharpton stands on uh, the allegations against Justin Fairfax? Um, he, he takes them very seriously. Uh, he said to me he, he thinks that it needs to be investigated. Uh, it's something that is obviously a very serious uh, allegation. Um, and I think we've reached sort of the point where um, it's sort of a sad irony that we're dealing with um, you know, blackface and, and the idea of a of a, a sexual assault allegation. Um, and I think to your point about Black History Month, I think it is forcing us to kind of look back at some of these things and, and, and reflect on how um, these issues in our history have, have played out. But um, as far as Sharpton and, and, uh, and Justin Fairfax are concerned, um, he, he really does take them seriously. And um, I think I think he's going to be one of the people who um, who pushed for a, a really serious uh, look and investigation into into what happened. Right. And, and again, for people who perhaps have not been following this as obsessively uh, as those of us in news have to make it clear, Justin Fairfax is the second in charge. Right. So if Northam were to resign today, he would take over. And, uh, you know, initially, you know, people were like, oh, this is great. We have an African-American Democratic lieutenant governor. But now we have these allegations of sexual assault against Fairfax himself. 
itself. So right. here's a tweet about that from Jamil Smith. Vanessa Tyson is credible, and her allegations should be taken seriously. Plus, Justin Fairfax has already been caught in a lie. The Washington Post did not find significant red flags and inconsistencies within the allegations as his previous statement had claimed. So, Darren, we've got to break into this. Uh, who is Vanessa Tyson and what exactly are the allegations against uh, Fairfax? Um, she's a uh, professor and in her past has been a rape counselor um, who's spoken openly about being the victim of, um, of incest as a, as a young child. And um, she's someone who um, obviously is a, is, has a credible story. Uh, apparently this uh, incident happened back in 2004 uh, at the Democratic National Convention in Boston, where um, Justin was working at the time for John Edwards. And uh, there was an encounter in the hotel room that uh, she says um, began consensual uh, and then veered off into the opposite of that. Uh, and so I think um, a lot of people like Jamil are rightfully, uh, I think, a little bit annoyed at um, Justin for the way that he's handled it, especially at, when it came to this idea that the Washington Post story, uh, bringing up the, the investigation of the story in a way that sort of dismissed the story and didn't really take seriously, I think, um, uh, the, the allegations. And so the, the Washington Post then ran an actual story basically saying that they couldn't corroborate her story, but there was, you know, an admission on, uh, on, on Justin's part that um, there, was an, there was an encounter, but they obviously the stories are different. And so this is obviously still something that's really playing out in real time. And I think the idea that, you know, um, Donald Trump in our, in our politics, he, he's really changed sort of the parameters around which we talk about these things. And like, I think we're thinking about in real time, how does an allegation like this, what is a, you know, a character flaw uh, of something, have, you know, someone does something like blackface, like, what does that mean? And I think that's why it feels more friendly, uh, sort of frenzied, because um, Donald Trump is and, and, and the culture of our politics has really changed. Mm. And so um, and, and what renders someone in, in, you know, inefficient and unable to you know, hold office. These are things that like uh, that are new for us. So um, okay. something really it's kind of a sad story too. graveling as a nation. Well, Darren, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks, guys. All right, and we're going to take it to the timeline. How do you feel about all the news out of Virginia? What's on your mind today? Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. Well, with that question in mind, here's a tweet from Slate's Christina Cartucci. I wrote about the stronger, more sustainable Democratic Party that could rise from the chaos in Virginia and elsewhere. Christina joins us now. Good morning. Hi, how's it going? It's going all right. Listen, you wrote, Democrats shouldn't think twice about canceling racist, sexist politicians. The temporary losses don't matter nearly as much as the revolutionary gains we are witnessing within the party. So, Christina, though, I've got to ask, how is what's happening in Virginia right now an opportunity for Democrats? I think what's happening in Virginia is a lot of stuff that has always existed in the Democratic Party and in any political party just coming to the surface. So it's not anything new. You know, these these blackface incidents happened decades ago. 
Um, there was another guy in Florida recently who resigned who dressed in blackface just a couple years ago. You know, sexual assault has been happening among Democratic politicians for forever. Um, but the fact that the party is actually addressing it and Democrats are actually coming out to say, no, these should be disqualifying incidents for somebody who we see as a leader uh, is is new and I think is a good thing, even though temporarily it means the kind of uh, chaos that we're seeing in Virginia. Yeah, who said growth was easy? Uh, Christina, you write at one point, even though ousting a politician is undoubtedly the right move, it's a remarkably new phenomenon. And of course, that made me think of, you know, Al Franken, for example, and when we've seen how that has gone. Um, are Democrats getting better at these kinds of, of moments? I think they are. I mean, just the fact that almost immediately when the photos from Northam's yearbook came out, you saw Democrats from all corners of the party saying, you know, it's right for this guy to step down. You didn't see a lot of people saying, oh, well, he, you know, said it wasn't him, so it's fine. I think that's progress. I mean, if you look at what happened with Al Franken, um, Democrats did, uh, you know, Democrats in the Senate eventually came together to say, yes, it's right that he steps down. But at the same time, um, Kirsten Gillibrand, who was sort of the first person who encouraged him to do that, um, uh, the first colleague that he had that encouraged him to step down, Democratic donors, some of the biggest names in the game are saying, oh, well, we're not going to donate to her presidential campaign now because she turned her back on her party. So I think there is still some internal conflict in the Democratic Party over what should be a hard line? At what point does it become disqualifying for a politician? And that's a tough conversation to have, but I think it's necessary if the party really wants to maintain credibility among the women and the young people and especially the people of color who are the party's base. Mm. Yeah. Uh, well, listen, your, your piece focuses very much on the Democrats. What would you say to the Republican Party? Because they certainly have a lot going on themselves. That's an excellent question. Um, I would say that this, the issues of racism and sexism and sexual predation are not unique to any party. Um, it's, it's certainly incumbent upon the Republican Party to hold their own leaders accountable, especially if they, you know, if they think it's necessary to gain any uh, votes among women and people of color. I mean, the Republicans elected to Congress are uh, less female um, and and more white than they were the last time around. And that's the exact opposite of what's happening in the Democratic Party. And I don't think that it's a coincidence. I think it's in large part because we've seen a lot of defensive sexual assault among the Republican Party, you know, in terms of Donald Trump and, and Kavanaugh um, and even Roy Moore. And we've seen increasingly unabashedly racist candidates being nominated by the Republican Party. So I think both parties need to take a hard look at who they're elevating to the top. Ooh, what did you do, Christina? That. <laughs> Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you so much. Okay, listen, we have got a wild show for you today. We are just getting started. Freaking Kyle McLaughlin is going to be here. And I know a lot of you have seen this tweet from my grandmother in Texas, Dolores Edel-Jones. Good morning, Grandma. You're watching this morning. She tweeted, Said is going to be talking to Stacey Abrams this morning. Zaza on now. I don't even know what that means. But Grandma, if you have questions, you can tweet them to me. Um, and yes, she will be joining us live from the great state of Georgia in just a moment. So if you have questions, tweet them to me and Isaac using the hashtag AMTD. But first, we've got a very special fire tweet from Anna Conkle and Maya Erskine from Hulu's new show, Pen15. You ever remember the Pen15 Club? I'm just going to say yes. I don't know what that means. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs>
Welcome back, it's time for Fire Tweets, and today I'm joined by actors Anna Conkle and Maya Erskine from Hulu's new series, Pen15. How are Hi. you guys? Good, how are Good. you? You know, I am doing really well. I'm so excited to be talking with both of you and to show you how we do Fire Tweets. You ready to, like, I'm gonna do a little yeah. example yeah, here for you? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, first tweet is from Issa Rae. <laughs> when you want your body to be an hourglass, but it stays on cylinder, Mm. Mm. That's how, that's, that's what's, I, I'm worried I'm going past cylinder a little bit. <laughs> I mean, I would call this a bit of an hourglass. It's just not. You are very, very oh, kind. Really? Now you worked with Issa, yeah? I did, what, yes. What was it, you were on an episode of Insecure? What I was, was on like? a couple of, of uh, yeah, of Insecure. I mean, she's amazing. Like she's just, uh, she's such a boss and, and so sweet and everyone was so nice. It was like the easiest casual vibe ever. That's what I like to hear. Yeah. I hope we're gonna give you that vibe here too. All right, I Maya, you wanna, you wanna hit the next one? Yes. Boom. Nice. <laughs> okay. Kyle, you tweeted, the woman next to me on the bus has just mixed herself a gin and tonic in an antique lowball glass. She had ice in a thermos and ice tongs. Isn't that- Wait, what? Yes, <laughs> literally somebody on the bus, bus. was just mixing themselves highballs. Where Hell is yeah. this? Is this in the States? I mean, clearly, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I, believe, just I like believe it was. Anna, this do you Australia, is this, well, that's, is I mean, this in the States? Can I say something though yes. about highballs? So I just went to Japan and highball is like the drink there. Oh. That is like, everything I mean, is a highball. What's high a highball? It, well, for them, it's like whiskey and soda. Best it's whiskey like, in the world. Is highball oh, just that it's high, it's whiskey. tall? What does highball mean? No, I'm That's serious. No, it's, it's, no, that like, is it's like you question. get that, that small glass and you got that one rock in it Ball. and you have some delicious oh, whiskey oh. or alcohol of your choice. It's just the name choice. for the cocktail, but I, I don't know I was a bartender, why. I don't. And you don't know, no? <laughs> Do you have no. a go-to drink, Anna? I, I like a gin martini. All she right, a gin martini. That. That's what I like to see. All right, yeah. you're up next, you're okay. up next. Just whenever. When, whenever you're feeling it. Do it. Okay, so Abby tweeted, as a kid, I hope to one day cure diseases and be an Olympic swimmer. Me as an adult, I hope to one day finish a bottle of shampoo and conditioner at the same time. <laughs> I feel that's so hard. I'm obsessed so with that. So not so much drinking on public transit, but you do feel shampoo and conditioner. Yes, I feel angry when there's a little left and then I like save it for, I start like I'm hoarding so products. Cause I'm like, well, I ran out and now I have many days without this product and I don't want that to happen next time. So I'm going to think ahead. So then I like half finish things and then. Right. Basically I'm trying, and then, but then you can't squeeze the like little amount that's left. And so it's basically. You need one of those mini spoons. Have you seen those? Or, or you could just, you could just, cut, you could just cut, cut through it, cut From through the it. Bottle. Cut right. it. Cut, cut it. it. Just cut, cut through it. it. That's okay. what I do. All right, you right? Tweet the yeah. day, we're all going to hit it at once. You okay. ready? One, two, three, go. Maya, you're reading it. Okay. <laughs> it goes for Manaconco. I hate no. when I, oh no. I hate when I touch my armpit with my finger and put it in my mouth and my mouth tastes bad for the rest of the day. Quoted by me, Maya Erskine. Thanks, Anna. Maya, you want to explain? Well, okay, like sometimes when I'm like itching my armpit or something happens and then I forget that I did that and then like maybe hours later I might like itch my mouth or like put my finger in my mouth and it tastes like what it tastes like i ate aloe vera like do you know the aloe vera <laughs> plant tastes like bo to me it's like and then your mouth tastes like you remember when uh, we also were drinking water and you and were like this like tastes BO. like bo certain things taste like bo to me you came chicken so soup. prepared for that chicken question soup. Chicken, chicken soup that's what you feel sometimes like? when you open the can of chicken soup no uh -huh. Uh -huh. It's no like, i know 
I know that's a feet. That's a feet. Exactly you what do? You're talking about. I know what is that? It's feet. Okay, that's to me, feet. it's that's feet. feet. Okay, let's it's not, talk about. It's not bo. Let's, that's very specific. Let's talk about your actual show instead of okay, bo. Ten fifteen. Right. Okay. You play middle school versions of yourself. Yes. yes. But you play them. Yes. yes Why was weird. that important? Uh, for a couple reasons. One, because uh, the content that we were trying to show, we it's wanted to do it. It's R-rated. It's uncensored. And we just couldn't have 13-year-olds do the things that we were hoping to explore <laughs> right. on TV. Um, and then another reason I feel is because if you have an actual 13-year-old playing those scenarios out and, and going through some of the traumatic experiences we've had, it's actually very dramatic and hard to watch. And and I think if you have a, an adult doing it, you're able to relax and like have the distance to be able to laugh at it. I love everything you just said, and I totally agree. But let's talk about <laughs> okay, how okay. your co-stars are all actually all 13. Well, They're all yeah. what's it like? What's it like working with these like, teens? It I was mean, amazing. It was so like, mo you know, my our general experiences are, you know, a normal set working with a bunch of adults. And it was so nice. All these like people, you know, were they're insecure, we're insecure. Like it just felt egoless and really fun. Yeah. You Wait, know, that sounds awesome. Yeah, it was. It I was mean, they very were special. Amazing, but I also was trying very hard to impress them at all times. So <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that yeah. Was, it brings out all the insecurities. Teenagers for real. are super intimidating. I feel you Crazy. 100% on that. But some of these teenagers actually thought you guys were 13. <laughs> 13. What was that like? Well, one of them <laughs> came to set and and Maya, they hadn't met Maya yet. Mm, and right. she was in her costume, so she had her bowl cut and her little mustache and... And to preface it, they had met Anna right. first in her normal clothes, so she was wearing like high-waisted jeans and this like tank top. And she's like, you guys, this is the Spice Girl dance. And was like teaching was it to te them. <laughs> Sorry, it's so, it sounds bananas. Going, but yeah, anyway, yeah. so that was part of the scene. And so then they come to set and I was like, hey guys, I'm Maya. And they were like, hey, um, Anna, I love your jeans. <laughs> yeah, and I was Maya wearing like. Super. She was like, I've had these since high school. Like, Because they were talking for... about like, I would never wear these low rider jeans. Yeah, so Did that I was bring like, you right back to? A hundred percent. I cried later that day. Like, I'm not even kidding. But it's because the scene went to a dark place anyway. But. <laughs> I blame it partly on that first interaction. Well, I am very impressed that you guys act with teens every day and are making such a wonderful, wonderful show. And thank, thank you, you so much for coming on AM to DM. Listen, their new series, Pen15, and if you don't know what the Pen15 Club is, I'm not even explaining it to you. Begin streaming on Hulu tomorrow. Be sure to check it out. And up next, Stacey Abrams joins us from Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you. Welcome back. Joining us now from the great state of Georgia is Stacey Abrams. Good morning. Good morning. Great to see you. Stacey Abrams, we all, of course, saw your response to the President's State of the Union on Tuesday. But we wanted to ask, what was your day like before your rebuttal? And what was your night like after? So that morning I got up, I did a final read-through of the speech, wanting to make sure that not only did it read well physically, but that when I said it out loud, I wasn't popping my peas and I hadn't included words that it would be very difficult to say if I suddenly got thirsty. Uh, then I watched uh, about three episodes of Doctor Who and uh, just kind of chilled out. Hang on, hang Showed on, hang on. Like, 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 like <laughs> this season Doctor Who or like back in the day Doctor Who? Back in, so I'm catching up. I started watching the new iteration of Doctor Who 
uh, probably about a year ago. So I watched the last season of Peter Capaldi and then all of the new, but I had to go all the way back because uh, over New Year's, they did a Doctor Who marathon on BBC. So I'm now up to season eight. So I just watched the end of Matt Smith and the oncoming of Peter Capaldi. Okay. So what was the evening like after the rebuttal? Was it more Doctor Who? (laughs) It was not more Doctor Who. I was a little wound up because I did not make any huge gaffes. I was very proud of myself, but all the pent up energy was back. So I came back to my house. My younger sister was with me as was my campaign manager and a dear friend. And we watched the feedback. I saw Fox News say something nice about me, which I think surprised us both (laughs) and uh, watched MSNBC uh, and then stayed up late making uh, ground beef stew because I was too wound up to go to sleep until about 3.30 in the morning. Ah, relatable. Wow. Relatable. Did you by any chance watch Bernie Sanders' rebuttal or did you have any issues with him giving his own address after yours? My, I believe that every person who stands in public office has the right to speak to the issues that they care about. I'm proud of the work that I was able to do on behalf of the Democratic Party as the official responder, but I take no exception to other people who want to be heard as well. You are, of course, you know, a noted voting rights activist. Uh, That was true before you ran and certainly during the campaign. Um, Have you seen any substantive progress on voting rights in the state of Georgia since midterms? I've seen a a strong uptick in interest and in conversation. We know through an Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll that 71% of Georgians believe that we need to take some action. They're very concerned about our voting machines. We know that there's now a voting rights caucus at the Capitol that has bipartisan support, and I'm very proud of that work. Uh, Georgia's about to spend a lot of money on new machines, and the goal is to make certain that it doesn't become a, a cronyism moment where the new governor gives a $150 million contract to the former employer of his deputy chief of staff, but instead we have hand-marked paper ballots that every vote gets counted. And this is a bipartisan push, so I'm, I'm excited about that. But we've got a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. Have you spoken to Brian Kemp since the election? Uh, and, and if not, what would you say if you could? I have not spoken to him. And I, I would say what I said on the night of my non-concession speech. I pray for his success. I want him to do well by the state of Georgia. Unfortunately, I think his behavior as Secretary of State, his rhetoric on the campaign trail, both signal a difficult a transition to being a good governor, but hopefully he will do the right thing. I mean, unfortunately, he's already broken a promise to teachers and he is only allocating a million dollars to solve a multi-million dollar challenge that we have with healthcare. I think he needs to expand Medicaid immediately, take the money and save lives in Georgia. But, you know, again, as I said about President Trump, my responsibility as a citizen is to want our leaders to be successful. But my responsibility as a citizen and as a political leader is to also encourage them to do the right thing to achieve that success. Uh, Earlier this morning, uh, one of our regular viewers, Princess Slaya, tweeted this question for you. Um, How did Stacey Abrams cope with the blatant voter suppression during the uh, election? Uh, I can imagine it was emotionally taxing and incredibly frustrating. So how did she keep her head up and make it day by day? How would you answer that? Part of the responsibility of those of us who are fighting for voting rights is to not let the other side win because voter suppression is successful in two ways. One is by actually physically blocking people from voting, but the other is by scaring people out of voting. My responsibility in that three-week period when we saw just how egregious 
his behavior was, was to remind people that we can't let them win by giving up. We have to keep fighting. And I can't tell other people to fight if I'm not willing to do it myself. Mm. Well, um, earlier this morning, of course, we were talking about the developing controversy in Virginia. And listen, you are someone who has obviously thought very deeply about how to lead a state in the South. Uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, what advice do you have for Virginia about a pathway forward? Virginia's laws are different than those in Georgia, and there are real consequences for how they handle this situation. I, I actually know Lieutenant Governor Fairfax. I've had the opportunity to talk to Governor Northam. I do not know the Attorney General, but I know this. These are men who have tried to do the right thing in their professional lives, but I think they have to grapple with their public, their private and personal decisions. My hope is that they will come together, not only within their families, but with the communities to figure out the appropriate path forward. Uh, we want Virginia to be successful. We want the state to continue to make the progress it's making on criminal justice reform, on Medicaid expansion, on re-enfranchisement of ex-felons. They're doing good things, but those things have to be seen as credible. And so I just encourage the ongoing conversations that are happening and for people to take personal responsibility for their decisions. Should Northam resign? Again, I, I'm speaking to a broader conversation because I know that this is a difficult, difficult issue. I believe racism is wrong. I believe racist words and racist deeds require amends. And I would ask the state of Virginia, especially the governor, to think about what amends properly looks like in their state. In their state. Well, listen, everyone is already getting ready for 2020, and a lot of people are talking you up as a potential candidate. <laughs> is there any chance you're thinking about throwing your hat in the ring? As I've said, I'm thinking about everything. I gave myself a deadline at the end of March to make a decision about what I'm going to do next. And that means I think about all things. But that's just the way my mind works. I, I don't believe in cutting off opportunities or foregoing ideas. But often what you find is if you think about something that may seem beyond your scope, you find something in the middle you never thought about. Mm -hmm. Well, if it helps at all, uh, we have a tweet here from my own grandmother, Dolores Elder Jones, resident of Garland, Texas. Uh, she said, let Stacey know that when she won runs for president, she has an 80-something-year-old volunteer. So <laughs> just passing that on to you. Well, thank you, Mrs. Jones. I look forward to having your help whenever I get ready to run for whatever I'm doing next. For whatever I'm doing next. Let's talk about what that whatever could mean. Here's a tweet from the AJC's Tamar Hollerman. Fresh off Stacey Abrams' State of the Union rebuttal, Donald Trump tells the AJC and other regional reporters that it's a mistake for her to run against Senator David Perdue in 2020. I don't think she can win. Now, you've already responded to the president, president once this week. What would your rebuttal be to that quote? I do not take political advice from Donald Trump. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Fair, fair. Uh, let's let's say uh, you you don't run uh, in twenty twenty at all. Is there an option? And you said I know you're you're looking at different possibilities, but I did wonder if you could be more specific about another possible path you could see in terms of how you might play a role in in the twenty twenty primary. Well, regardless of what I do personally, my mission is to make certain that Georgia is seen as a battleground state. That's one of the reasons the fight for fair elections is so important. We started Fair Fight Action because. We need every single Democratic candidate, not only in the primary, but both candidates in the general election to see Georgia as a battleground state. 
because that means that they're paying attention to the needs of 10 and a half million people. And that will shape the narrative of the election. My responsibility as a strong Democrat, as someone who loves the state, as someone who loves the South, is to make sure we put more Southern states in play. When we are in play, we get better responses from our national leaders and we get better choices made on our behalf. And so my mission, regardless of who runs for what, is to make sure that they know that they need to come to Georgia and I'll be ready to help the Democrat win the White House. All right. Now, listen, I want to ask one last question about the rebuttal. You opened with such an beautiful story. Uh, And so we also know you're an award-winning romance author. So how did your experience kind of writing novels help you write that rebuttal? So, yeah, I'm very proud of the fact that I write lots of different things. I write romance as Selena Montgomery. I recently wrote a memoir uh, that's being released as a paperback called Lead from the Outside. It came out as Minority Leader last year. I've also written very scintillating articles on the operational dissonance of the unrelated business income tax exemption. So I like to think that I bring all of my writing skills to bear. And hopefully what I was able to do in the rebuttal was to take the part that knows how to tell a story to bring people in, but then to use that moment of connection to talk about the real issues that ground us and connect us, and then close with inspiration to say, we can get this done. And so hopefully I use my tax attorney self and my romance writing self and my memoir self to give us advice about how we can be our better selves as Americans. Well, you certainly made an incredibly compelling case for the two of us that night and for our viewers this morning. Stacey Abrams, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you both so much for having me. It's been delightful. A delight, oh my gosh. Okay, well up next, I'm speaking with Ashley Elise Edwards about the Netflix hit show, I'm Obsessed With It, Friends From College. It is not about living as our better selves, uh, but stay tuned. How <laughs> to live as our worst. Here's a tweet from Ashley Elise Edwards. Hate watching the show Friends from College, and I don't think I've disliked main characters on a show this much since Marty from Girls. <laughs> Same. Uh, Ashley, senior news and politics editor at Refinery29, joins me now to talk about why we love to despise most of the characters on Friends from College. I'm definitely in this we here. All of them are bad. Oh, okay. Let's just, girl, <laughs> let's, let's get into it. For people who haven't seen the show yet, two seasons are on Netflix right now. Uh, what's the concept of Friends from College? So these are all friends from Harvard. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in their 40s and they're all living in New York. Mm-hmm. So they have these toxic dynamics still going on from college yeah. in their 40s. Lots of affairs, a lot of backstabbing. That's pretty much the premise. And they're all bad people. Everyone. I mean, just it's just the... I, I started playing a game when I watched it because I kind of stumbled into it and yeah. kept watching it. And I would hit pause. Um, and I would try to think, I was like, what's the worst possible decision a person could make right now? And then I'd hit play. Every <laughs> single. They, none of them make good decisions. Oh, man. Okay, but and, and it is. I don't typically like shows that uh, center on unlikable characters, but I do love the show. What is it that kind of makes it work? So I think that why people hated the show so much the first Mm -hmm. season, because the affair kind of overtook the Uh whole entire thing, Mm -hmm. but also because like, I think we can all see ourselves in some of these characters. Um, It makes you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. We've all done kind of messed up things to Mm -hmm. our friends. Mm -hmm. Um, People we say are our friends, but then we secretly talk about behind their back. We've all done it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what makes everyone like really uncomfortable and like hate the show. Mm -hmm. But then the dynamic between the characters are also like fun and also relatable. And 
in a lot of ways, I think. Yeah, the, the chemistry and the performances, and it's fun seeing, you know, like Colby, like, you know, people we know as comedic actors give surprisingly dramatic Serious. kind yeah. of moments. Um, well, season two, of course, is on Netflix now, and you said, and I love this, and this is Colby's character, Lisa is actually the worst person on the show. Yes. I agree. Let's talk about this case. So the first season, she was like the sympathetic character because mm -hmm. she was being cheated on for her entire marriage. Mm -hmm. She had a failed IVF cycle. She had a terrible job. And I was really hoping season two, she would come back and be like triumphant, mm -hmm. you know, confident. But she came back and she's just like ruining everyone's lives, like everyone. She has a new boyfriend who she treats terribly. She's mean. She's mean. She's extremely selfish. Mm -hmm. And I think at a point, you know, you've been wrong, but you can't blame that mm -hmm. forever for who mm -hmm. you become. She's kind of like embodied this hurt and it's taking it out on everyone. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah. Uh, one of the ongoing themes in my creative writing, like in my poetry collection, Prelude to Bruce, is that hurt people are hurtful people, yeah. you know? That is like she's drowning and then everyone, she's like pulling Dragging everyone. everyone down with Ooh, her. Her new yeah. boyfriend who seems like he really uh, likes her. he's like kind of trying. He's trying, he's kind of dumb, but he's trying. Sam and Ethan, I think, were terrible in the first season, mm -hmm. but I also think they genuinely mm -hmm. are in love with each other yeah. and they tried, they're being honest yeah. this season. Mm -hmm. But Lisa is just like, I don't care, I'm ruining everyone's life. Burn it down. Nick also, she oh ruined God. his relationship. <laughs> Nick, who was actually like yeah. on the cusp of becoming yeah. like an adult. Right. Yeah. She destroyed that. Yeah. Um, she rejects him. It's by fine. going to the summer house. Like, oh, why would you even God. do that? It's She's so, oh my goodness. Okay, I'm having flashbacks <laughs> as we talk about it. Um, I, I want to say this though. Um, it's incredibly funny. Yes. Right, like, I, like the, the tension and the toxicity is real. It's also incredibly funny in how it plays off. The it's, awkwardness, I think they've yeah. done a really good job with yeah. everything awkward when they went to Atlantic City and mm. they're and the boyfriend oh is on the ride and he's like passed out um, with um, Ethan's book with mm -hmm. the horse boy mm -hmm. with the like everything about his like happy trail like. Yeah. I think it's really good acting mm -hmm. and really good writing, and I hope more people start watching it, because I, I feel like Netflix doesn't really promote it that much. It's weird. It was one of those kind of sleeper shows, and only when I started tweeting about it mm -hmm. and, you know, did I see other people. And so yeah. I would say, friends, this is like the experience, the same experience I had with Shit's Creek, where I was like, oh my God, and then everyone's obsessed it's with it. It's a good show to, like, go on Twitter, mm -hmm. find tweets, and talk to people mm -hmm. about it and debate about it. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's really great. I hope it gets a third season. I, I, we, we will pray that it The will, way it ended, I really need, I need, I need some... I need answers. Yeah, we need closure. All right. Well, Ashley, thank you so <laughs> thank much you for, for joining us me. as always. Uh, let's take this to the timeline. What's a show that you started out hate watching, but you ended up loving it? Uh, tweet us your answers using the hashtag am to dm uh, Up next, Isaac is sitting down with a very special agent, actor Kyle McLaughlin. No big deal. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Welcome back. I'm so excited to be joined by Kyle McLaughlin. You know him from Dune, Twin Peaks, Portlandia, and so much more. Now he's in High Flying Bird on Netflix. Good morning. Hey, nice to see you. Nice to see you Thanks. as well. Thanks. So this is a Steven Sodenberg movie. Yeah. And he shot it on his iPhone. He sure did. When you heard that, were you like a little worried? Were you like, oh, things are rough. He doesn't have the money. What's going on? <laughs> no. I knew that he's something that he was, uh, he'd been doing and experimenting with from previous uh, films that he did. So I was, I was up for the, the challenge to see just kind of what that meant. And it was, we had a lot of fun. Did you, did you do anything differently because of that, because of the way it was filmed? Um, no, not much. You know, the preparation is the same. Um, the process is radically different because uh, it's incredibly quick, as mm -hmm. you can imagine. Um, and he keeps a very quiet set anyway, so it's a, it's a skeleton crew. There's just a few people around you. Almost don't feel like you're working. 
Oh wow! Um, which so there's a reality to it that is just intrinsic with that kind of structure. So not incredibly invasive. Uh, the the, you know, the movie is about the NBA and it's going through a lockout um, and basically trying to change the game in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, certainly speculating about what would happen if this thing, which people will see when they watch the film, mm -hmm. were to uh, become a reality. You know, which would mean basically more control for the players and more ownership for the players. For the players. Yeah, and what would that mean? And and are we in a place right now, place and time? within our culture, with the social media, where something like this might be able to happen. Those kind of power dynamics could shift. If you could change the game in Hollywood in kind of almost a similar way, what would that look like to you? <laughs> oh, the game in Hollywood, that's a, that's a complex question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I do what I'm doing now, which is live in New York. <laughs> well, well said. <laughs> Completely changed the game for me. Very, very good. Uh, listen, we're, we're, are you a fan of basketball? Are you? A fan yeah, of you know, I'm. 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 Just, I hate to say this, but I'm. I'm really a golf golf fan. That's kind of my thing, and and the NFL. So I watch football and I watch golf. All right. Which is nice because it sort of you know brackets both areas. But I do enjoy the basketball, but uh, particularly as we get closer to the the finals. You know. Did you yeah. did you have any kind of like how did you prepare for the role and be not as familiar with the NBA as you are? With football and golf. Well, um, you know, I, I actually borrowed a little bit from football, so I know Paul. I knew the late Paul Allen a little bit, and uh, obviously on the Trailblazers. And I spent a little bit of time with him, um, and just uh, not specifically for this for this role, but I I have spent time with him, and I just kind of watched how he operated in the world as a very successful, very capable businessman. And I thought, okay, that's that's kind of the what what I think Terrell, our writer, was giving to this particular character. Mm -hmm. It was kind of, a, it was a softer approach and sort of like a, you know, very, there's not much emotion in it, you know, it's a business. And uh, so that was that was how I approached the character. I think absolutely kind of that business, but also like with that confidence. Oh yeah, tremendous confidence. These guys deal with so much money. Right. I just can't imagine the billions of dollars that these guys work with every day. So there's a there's a sense of, I just, you're so comfortable with those kind of numbers. Yeah, just and getting it and losing it. Uh, yeah, no, I'm with you, man. I'm with you, I'm okay. with you. I want to switch gears a little bit here, though. Uh, you uh, recently tweeted, here's some winter wear inspiration for anyone trying to figure out how to dress this season. There it is. Hashtag <laughs> Dune. So what do you think about Good. the... I'm, listen, I love Dune. I love it oh, so much. Yeah, I love thanks. It. What do you think about the remake? What do you think about that idea? to see what, what, what happens. You know, he's getting together a great cast, mm -hmm. obviously really talented people. Um, it's a challenging piece of material to try to bring to the screen. And uh, so I wish him luck with that. Um, I mean, if anyone can do it, he'll 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 do a great job. So he's terrific filmmakers. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there. But like you said, there's just so much in those books. Yeah, it's really you know the book, and I and I'm kind of a nerd about the book. I read it when I was 15 for the first time. I really I read it like every year. I really know the book very well. There are three sections. You could break that into three movies. And still have a lot left over. Yeah, so, easily. Yeah. I agree. All right, listen, uh, Paul Atreides, Timothy uh, Chalamet yeah, is yeah. going to play him. Yeah, he's going to be great. Atre Could you just, like, real quick, right to camera. Do you have any advice for him in playing Paul? Oh, <clears throat> go easy on the spice. <laughs> that's a toy. That, that's Some people will get, many people will not get that. But I got it. Okay, good, I, good, I good. Really that was, was kind of for you. I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I yeah. really appreciate it. Uh, listen, yeah. yesterday you tweeted out this yeah. photo and told people to celebrate Wine Wednesday with a glass of your wine yes. pursued by beer. 
Bear. Bear, sorry. Could be beer. It no, takes a lot wine. of be- takes a lot of beer to make wine, but, Ex- it's, but it's a wine. <laughs> That's a, yeah. Pursued by I bear. I, I, how did you get into winemaking? Oh, uh, you know, I grew up in eastern Washington, uh, and this is where this wine is made, and there's a huge wine business up there that's just doing going great guns. Okay. And I wanted to be involved with that. I love wine. Um, I wanted to make something, and uh, and it's a, it's a hobby that's turned into kind of a, a small business now, so. Okay. Yeah. Do, you, do you always bring wine? Like when you go to visit, like I try to. Buddies. Yeah, I try to. I, I try to, uh, and I try to turn them on a good wine, and, huh. and and it's a very small production, and and but it's very good, and got really nice numbers. So all right, it's all good. Right. Yeah. If you, listen, if you had to choose though, coffee or wine, rest Ooh. of your life, you can only drink one. What are you What's going? That with? great thing they say: I drink coffee until it's time to drink wine. <laughs> <laughs> I, kind of, I kind of fall into that category. I don't know if you're the same, but it's like, what time is it? Oh yeah, yeah okay. I absolutely uh, fall into that. Okay, that's right. it. I I feel like that makes us kind of wine moms. Do you have like <laughs> yeah. other wine mom inspiration quotes? You oh like? well, that's the only one that leaps to mind. I, I drink don't know. coffee until yeah. it's time to drink wine. Yeah, I like yeah. it. Up. Okay. Well, well, and also it takes a lot of beer to make wine, and that's that is true. That is absolutely true. That is with being true. a cellar rat and all that. So I love that. Yeah. It's so incredible. All right. Well, listen. We also have obviously a huge Twin Peaks fandom here at BuzzFeed. Thank you. Okay. So there's actually a Slack. Like there's a chat room yeah. in which people just talk about Twin Peaks yeah. throughout the day, I went into that chat room and asked them for all the questions they'd ask you. Okay. So if you're ready. You went down the rabbit hole. We're going to do a very rapid fire Twin Peaks question round. It's going to be a minute. We're going to see how many of these questions we can get through. You feel good? Okay. Yeah, good. All All right. right. Can we get the clock? Can we get the clock going? Here we go. All right. Here we go. The reboot ended on a bit of a cliffhanger. Is there a chance we'll see any more Twin Peaks in the future? Never say never. Never say never. How do you take your coffee? Black as midnight on a moonless night. Oh my God, chills. All right. And? and black is, it is, it is okay. truly black. No lies there. Verified. No Verified lies. here. What other show from the Twin Peaks era would you like to see come back? Ooh, when it already did. Um, Battlestar Galactica. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I love that show. And it was absolutely wonderful. And the Wild Wild West, but that was really before Twin Peaks. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was a little... <laughs> that was when I was really... <laughs> that was a little bit earlier. Is Laura Agent Cooper's mom? Oh, no. Oh, wow, okay, okay. Is there any truth to the theory that Cooper's hair suggests he changes history to save Laura? What do you think, people? Uh, what? <laughs> 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 All right, what did Laura whisper to Coop? Oh, um, uh, can I get another cup of coffee? Did I? Yeah, no, yeah. I have no idea about that one. Okay, what is Coop feeling when oh, the... Per- no, forget stop. the rules, forget the forget rules. Forget it. What is Coop this is our, feeling... This is your show, you can do That's whatever right. you want. That's right, I can stretch it forever. Exactly. It's, you'll be stuck. No, 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 no. <laughs> what is Coop feeling when the person we believe to be Laura Palmer screams at the end of the series? Ooh, wow. Well, I tell you, to be, to be truthful, the hair on the back of my neck went right up yeah. when she did that. Really yeah. got me. Yeah. yeah, you know, we shot, uh, to diverge a little bit, um, we shot that very near the beginning of filming. So that was within the first few weeks. No kidding. Yeah, so it hadn't gone on the journey yet, really, to know what was happening. But oh. David, of course, David Lynch had in his mind exactly how he wanted that to be played. And so when it happened, I was just reacting to that, that terror, you know. And it and, did, it made Yeah, it oh, it did, yeah. And the realization, I'm even getting it now, that realization that all is not right, mm-hmm. you know. And that's about as as a definition that's that I got. That's also very, very true. I'm going to ask yeah. you one last question, okay. not Twin Peaks related at all. All right, you ready? I'm ready. Are you more of a Charlotte, a Miranda, a Carrie, or a Samantha? 
<laughs> Which am I? Yeah. yeah, probably more of a Charlotte, I guess, I would say. All right. Yeah, yeah they, they put us together. It was the right combination. All right. I absolutely love it. Well, Kyle, thank you so much. You've been an absolute delight. Thank you, thank I truly you appreciate you joining us. High Flying Bird premieres on Netflix tomorrow. And up next, we're talking about someone who is also a wonderful person to follow on Instagram, Lizzo. You The Cuts feature writer, Allison P. Davis, tweeted, The day after I hung out with Lizzo, I felt so damn good I leapt out of bed, went to the gym, and felt bold enough to shoot my shot in a B-list actor's DMs. May her energy inspire you to do your version of that. Allison joins me now. Good morning. Good morning. So first things first, we have to know, <laughs> did that B-list actor DM you back? Okay, surprisingly, not a lot of people have followed up with this. Um, he did. We went back and forth for, I guess, like two weeks, and I think we were leading up to, like, meeting. And then he was nominated for something and ghosted me. So I guess he's, like, elevated to A-list, and I'm no longer... Well then, I okay. Well, it was close. B-lister now, A-lister. Keep your eyes on Alice, okay? <laughs> Hit her up, okay? Don't ghost her. Well, anywho, so Lizzo is now the Cuts 2019 um, cover star. We love this so much. And you wrote here, okay, it's just a matter of time till everybody loves Lizzo as much as she loves herself. What did you learn in sitting down with her that surprised you the most? Because she really shared a lot. Yeah, I mean, it was all. it's always surprising when somebody in the public eye opens up like that. So I was surprised at how willing she was just to go there and be vulnerable and let me tag along with her and all of her friends uh, like I was a friend. Um, but there wasn't, I guess I was surprised sort of at how hard she works, you know? Because you think she's like super talented, so that's natural, and she's super positive and that's natural, but she was really honest about like, no, I have to wake up and I have to remind myself that I'm a bad bitch. I have to remind myself that I love myself. I have to, you know, do a lot of self-care, I have to take breaks. And I was like, oh yeah, it's just as hard for you as it is for everyone else. Absolutely, and when I was reading her piece, I just felt so seen by her. And yeah. I was just like, yes, you're writing my life story, Lizzo. <laughs> Allison, thank you, why you're in my diary. And so what do you think has brought her to this point now? What did she go through in her life to bring her to this poignant moment in her life? Yeah, I mean, the thing that Lizzo talked a lot about was just that like being born a black woman in America you're just going through it all the time, even if you don't realize you're going through it. And so, you know, she was sort of bullied as a kid. Her, her, her father passed away when she was in college, and they had a, a bit of a difficult relationship that she felt like she didn't quite get to resolve. And so it was just sort of the combination of, like, existing as a woman who people look at and are automatically count out, and some personal issues that she just had to overcome that... And the way she overcame it was being super-duper positive. Oh, so positive, indeed. And you also wrote... When Lizzo plays the flute, it's a gentle fuck you, yes I can. To everyone who was surprised to see her take the stage in spandex bodysuit, a queen, and play <laughs> a song by old Frenchman. Now, how does she challenge in such a unique way what a pop star is, what we're so used to seeing? How does she challenge that? First of all, I think that pop music has been suffering from a bit of like a no bangers problem. <laughs> and Lizzo like puts out bops. So that's a surprise in 2019 that she's putting out the album, which I've heard, but you guys haven't yet, uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> is like a consistently feel good, like I want to dance in my underwear at my bedroom album. So we've got a lot of bops coming from her. Um, but also she just challenges like what a pop star can do in terms of like, you know, she's a classically trained musician. And so she thinks about her pop songs as like classical compositions almost. So she's challenging what a musician can do musically, but also on stage, it's like she's a real show woman and yeah. she's dancing and she's got these beautiful dancers and everything's about like 
positivity and like glittery and it's just really fun to watch her and she's I think effortlessly more fun than other pop stars are now. Also, you know, like I hate to even bring up like the fact that she's heavier or that she that she's body positive, but like she doesn't look like what we think pop stars are going to look like. You know, she's not a size negative zero hundred, you know, and like a long extension. She's changing her hair all the time. She's changing her look and she's super proud of her body, so. Absolutely, and Saeed mentioned this earlier in the show, her performance on Fallon last night was amazing. Yes. I told you, I was like, why didn't she call me to be her background dancer <laughs> since I was available? So what do you think is next for Lizzo? I mean, she's got the tour, which is gonna sell out. Um, I expect Grammys, I expect like bigger tours, I expect um, her Coachella performance to pop off. So I think we're just gonna be like, bathing in Lizzo for the rest of 2019 and beyond. Yes, for sure. Okay, the next time you hang out with her, Allison, please let me know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you have to bring the, the Casamigos because, oh. you know, she loves tequila. Okay, listen, I'll bring it. I'll bring it. Allison, thank you so much for joining us Thanks today. Thanks for having me. All right, y'all. Let's take this positivity to the timeline and tweet us something you love about yourself using the hashtag am to dm When we come back, Isaac and Saeed are responding to your tweets. Uh, before we get to your tweets, we wanted to read this headline from Vanity Fair. It went live during the show this morning. Liam Neeson can't be racist because of how he kisses, says actor Michelle Rodriguez. She continued, dude, have you watched Widows? His tongue was so far down Viola Davis's throat. Huh. Yeah. Do you want me to read the rest of what she said? Yeah, okay. why don't you? She continued. This is all one uninterrupted quote. Um, Races don't make out with the race that they hate, she says, especially in the way he does with his tongue. So deep down Viola Davis's throat. I don't care how good of an actor you are. It's all bullshit. Ignore it. He's not a racist. He's a loving man. It's all lies. That's a lot. That's a lot in that quote. It is. Are you going to buy her tickets to Slave Play? She doesn't deserve them. Mm. Um, mm. I would also say, like, it's all lies. I understand uh, for whatever reason uh, in this uh, simulation we've all been forced to endure uh, the last few years that uh, everyone, again, when faced with criticism or truth that you don't want to accept that it's just normal now to call things fake news and lies. But, hey, Michelle Rodriguez, if uh, you have ever... Uh, paid attention to anything in your life, this story was introduced to the news cycle unprompted by Liam Neeson. Where'd it come from again? He talked about it. Oh, yeah, that's right. On his own. Oh, there it is. <laughs> so. Absolutely, there it is. Also, that is not even getting into the other mm -hmm. dynamics of what she actually said. Mm -hmm. okay, Which, yeah, yeah, yeah. if there's anything untrue that we're talking about right now, it might be that statement, mm -hmm. because those are very, very complex issues you are talking about, and what you said was inaccurate. <laughs> Scott Bixby tweeted, he was like, oh yeah, yeah, because misogynists, they never kiss women. <laughs> Anyways, we asked you what your thoughts about what's <sighs> happening in Virginia. I can't believe we, I'm sorry, I'm gonna I stop for a second. I, like, I just Lord. can't believe we had to break in uh -huh. twice in one week mm -hmm. with the Liam Neeson. It's a long week, it's a long week. Anyways, mm. all right, we asked you what you guys made of what's going on in Virginia. Kev says, my school condemned the, the display of the Confederate flag because of the awareness of the impact and its terrifying history in the most Southern part of Virginia in 1971. These politicians knew better and so did Republicans. Blackface was, is, no 
joke. Yeah, it isn't. Don't don't let people gaslight you, and and don't let to the, to the point of of Michelle Rodriguez. Some people sometimes people gaslight us intentionally. It's tactical, right? They are trying to convince you that what you know is true is not true. I think often what we see, and Michelle Rodriguez gave us a perfect example this morning. Sometimes they are gaslighting you by putting forward and projecting their own ignorance, mm. simply mm. because someone does not understand history and reality mm -hmm. does not mean that they have the power or should be given the power mm -hmm. to force you to disregard what you know. Mm -hmm. We know the history mm -hmm. of blackface. We know it's fucked up. Mm -hmm. And if someone is pretending that it is not, either they are being tactical, mm -hmm. and that's a problem, or they are stunningly ignorant, mm -hmm. and that's a problem too. I just want to say real quick here, uh, there's a book that I'm reading that tackles a lot of these issues oh, right now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's called uh, How We Fight for Our Lives. It's by Saeed Jones. Um, and I'm not joking. I can't wait for you guys to read this book. I'm going to finish it up this week, and I'm very excited about it. But you want to talk about race relations and sex relations and racism. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a good book, and I can't wait till you guys can read it, too. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Thank you, you wrote it. So you, I did. Yeah, I, yeah, know, I'm I'm like, like, I know what I I don't know if you know I, what I'm talking about. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, you do. Indeed. You do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Nichelle had this to say about our conversation with Stacey Abrams, and obviously it was such a joy to just to get to talk to someone at the center of such a vibrant national conversation. And and also, you know, like, she's inspiring to a lot of people, and that's nice and important, too. Uh, this is what Nichelle had to say. Stacey Abrams is my new best friend in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just picturing, like, a Calvin and Hobbes situation. They're just watching Doctor Who watching together. Doctor Who. Yeah, absolutely. The Who. one thing I can't believe I didn't ask as a follow-up was, mm. who's your favorite? Doctor. Well, she's only seen like what two of them at that point. Yeah, I think. Well, well no, no she said three up to season eight. Oh no, I no, think no. she went back, back though. She oh. was saying she's watching them all. Who's so. Your you know, we could ask her on the timeline. That's true. We can. Who's who's mine? Mm -hmm. Is it David Tennant? I think it's David Tennant, but I, I don't get me wrong. I like Matt Smith. You? Yeah, yeah. It used to be Matt Smith, and then I started watching The Crown. <laughs> so now it's David. Thank Tennant. you to our guests, <laughs> Stacey Abrams, Kyle McLaughlin, Darren Sands, Christina Catarucci, Anna Conkle, Maya Erskine, Ashley guys. Elise Edwards, Chantal Rochelle, of course, and Allison P. Davis. What a wonderful conversation that was. Woo! That we was did really it. Great. Allison's everything. Oh my God. Okay, so a couple of notes. First of all, Aquarius season. Hello, Aquarians. Uh, tomorrow is Isaac's birthday. Happy birthday. Thank Happy you very birthday. Much. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> also, this is just a coincidence. Uh, as you know, every Friday in February, we are doing blackout shows. That means every host, every guest, all the stories that we decide to focus on will center blackness. So he's got the day off. I'm out. <laughs> You'll see him on Monday, but you'll see me tomorrow with Hayes Brown. Ooh, Very be excited. Fun. Very excited. I'll be watching. I'll see you guys on the timeline. <laughs> Bye.